Greetings and welcome to War Council, a hobby-centered podcast for wargaming and role-playing enthusiasts, with your podcasters Edward Winterrose and Shane Mr. Meticulous Jenkins. Hello! Brought to you by White Metal Games at whitemetalgames.com, your source for custom and commissioned miniature painting and games workshop merchandise. Alright, and welcome to War Council. What we're going to be having this week is not going to be too much. We're going to have, of course, a pre-recorded segment. We're going to be doing a self-interview between me and Shane here. Say hi, Shane. Hi, Shane. <laughs> All right. And essentially just asking ourselves questions so we know who we are, and more importantly, so you know who we are. Correct. And later on, we're going to be having an interview between Caleb and Adam Abramowitz of Army Painter. Right? Correct. Correct. Tell me about Army Painter. Oh. So, so Army Painter is a company that they have a really really interesting line of paints, uh, materials and stuff, and they've kind of developed a little bit of their own system. I think it's like a three or four step system to try to cut down the time when, especially like batch painting armies and stuff. They've got some really, really interesting colors and uh, real quality paint. Okay. And as I remember, he's going to be telling us a little bit more about what their upcoming projects are going to be and what they're going to be coming out with later on this year and correct. for Christmas. Yep, correct. And really, that's going to be it for this episode, because these things run so long, we don't want you sitting here for an hour and a half. So we'll talk to you in a little bit. See you later. Today's episode is brought to you in part by The Joy of Painting Minis with Gog Roth. Everybody can learn to paint. There's nothing at all keeping you from doing it. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no mistakes when you're painting a $50 plastic miniature. Just happy little accidents. Just like this little Necron here. See that green glow coming off his weapon here? He's just lighting the way for his friends. And if a bit breaks off, well, you can feed that to another little friend. Like this fella in my shirt pocket. Here you go. Learn to find relaxation and self-validation in painting wargaming miniatures, complete with all the horrific gore, blood, and genetic abominations to soothe a weary soul. You can even do display boards to frame your work. Now, we're just going to add some unhappy little trees here. Maybe they were set on fire by a flame unit. Maybe they got caught in the back blast of a pocket nuke. It's all up to you. This all comes out of your imagination. This is your world. Maybe we can give this unhappy tree a friend. Every unhappy tree can use a friend, because misery loves company. Coming this fall on WARH. Don't you dare miss it. Okay, coming in, this is going to be a segment we're going to call self-interview because Caleb brought it up to me that you don't know me and Shane from Adam. So Who's well, Adam? Yeah, that's someone we're interviewing later on. Anyway, uh oh I wrote up some questions for us to answer so that we can kind of introduce ourselves, give you an idea who we are, and you'll get more of an idea who we are as the episodes progress. So first question, what's your gaming history? And I'm going to let you speak first, because uh, mine... I, I wrote all mine down because I'm, like, uh, 
little retentive. Well, if it's if it's going to show my age, uh, let's see. I think ColecoVision was the first gaming console I ever had. Nice. I wanted um, one of those when I was little. That, I only had it for a little bit, and then um, Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Mm-hmm. We had the one with the wood grain, and then of course from there uh, we got Sega Master System and NES, and just kept on with that. Uh, so I've always been into video games a lot, but. I've always been into the RPG games. Uh, I remember one of my favorite games on NES was Dragon Warrior, the original okay. Dragon Warrior. Um, and I played that game religiously till I finished it. Um, I'm kind of a completist in that sense. Like, I've, I've played Warcraft, World of Warcraft for many years, and I was always after, you know, getting trying to get all these mounts or all these different pets or whatever, you know. So completionist in that sense. So where Elder Scrolls was a bane of my existence for a while because there were so many little things to get and collect and yeah. I started with Elder Scrolls once. I never really got far into it. I started getting into it and the very first thing I saw was, oh, this is going to take a while, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So other than video games though, um, I used to play 25 years ago or so. Um, I played a little bit of D&D. Um, I think it would have been, what, maybe 4th edition back then? 4th in the last 10 years, and 4th didn't go very well. Okay, then I'm thinking um, that it wasn't 4th edition. I, so, anyway, this would have been in the early 90s, maybe? Late 80s, early 90s, probably 2nd. Okay. I'm betting you remember lots of tables on the page. There were. There were, yes, tons and tons. And Thacko to hit armor class 0. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, actually, I came across Warhammer, though, at the local gaming store uh, down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and came across it and just went it popped in one Saturday. If I might ask, which gaming store down in Charlotte? Because I used to live down there. It, was, it wasn't Heroes. There was another one that was right down on Central Avenue. Yeah, there was, I, I can't remember the name of it, but I popped in there one day and saw these guys in the back room playing this tabletop game and checked it out and watched them for a little while and then... So left there with a uh, box of five orc boys that day <laughs> and a couple little cans of paint and went home and painted them up and never actually got to play a single game because it was shortly thereafter I met my ex-wife. You still got them, right? I actually do not have those same models, but I have since gotten a lot more orcs. Okay. Because those are, those are definitely my favorite faction. Well... What my thing is, and I'm going to show my age too. All right. About 40 years ago, I got my first Atari 2600. I had the wood grain too. All right, all right. I never got the ColecoVision, though I've played it on the ColecoVision with those really weird joysticks that had the keypads and the stubby little yep, joysticks and, on them. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> From there, I actually went into Commodore computers because they used the same game controller okay. and everything, but had the VIC-20, the 64, the, the 64, 128. yep, yep. And I was playing all-text adventures on okay. those, like Zork yeah, and I remember Hitchhiker's Zork. Guide to the Galaxy. Do you remember You remember the old PC game, um, Leisure Suit Larry? Yeah, my mom played it. After the Commodore computers, uh, my brother was getting Nintendo systems. He got the first NES, the yep. Super Nintendo after that. Yep. And I was playing RPGs like Crystallis. Yes. Which was a little bit Zelda-ish, except a lot cooler, I thought. Yeah. Not a lot of people remember Crystallis. And let's see here. And this is right around middle school. I got into my first D&D game. Okay. And that went on a while. I just kept up picking up other RPGs. I got into Shadowrun next. Uh, I remember Shadowrun, yeah. Shadowrun was a breath of fresh air to me because I love my cyberpunk. Yeah. 
Yep. That plus magic was just fire for me. Oh, yeah. After that, I get into Mech Warrior pretty hard, and I get my first introduction to tabletop wargaming. Okay. Yeah, because they had the giant battle mechs and things. Right. I got into homebrewed systems. I did Star Wars, played all three of the different Star Wars, the West End Games version, the Wizards of the Coast version, and more lately, the Fantasy Flight Games version. And I think I liked Wizards the best yeah. out of that. Okay. I did start getting consoles of my own about the mid to late 90s. Got my first PS1. Okay. And RPGs there, when you talk about completionist, I did a completionist run of Final Fantasy VII on that one. Oh, yeah. And I think I've still got the memory card somewhere with my perfect game on it. Nice. The one that I remembered liking the most was Parasite Eve. I heard a lot of good things. I never got to play that much, but I heard a lot of good things about it. And then we get to PC gaming, and I'm playing all these old CGA kind of things. Like, we're playing Populous, playing it on a Windows 3.5 system in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sort of go up through the versions of Windows. In 1999, I start building my own PCs. Lately, what I've been doing is I've been playing Greedfall. That's a new release by Spiders. Um, I've been playing lots of No Man's Sky. Though about the mid-aughts, I started messing about with Second Life, and I'm still with that. Okay, okay. I checked out Second Life for a little while. It was interesting. There's a bit of a learning curve, and you will come across your fair share of interesting people, to put it very kindly. Yep. (laughs) Second off the end of that question, what kind of gaming is not your thing? <clears throat> I, I don't really know that I've come across any games that I don't really care for. I, I really like played all kinds of games. I mean, I'm into card games, board games, role-playing games. I mean, I'm dice games. I mean, just a gamer at heart, I guess. I just I, I hadn't really come across any kind of game that I, I don't really care for. You're a lot more open-minded than me. I'm picky. Yeah. <laughs> I am. So what about you? Uh, real-time strategy games I don't get into. The older Warcraft games okay. or the old Command and Conquer. Anything that there's a deadline and mounting opposition in the background that's only going to get bigger and bigger. It's stressful. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I, I guess in that sense, I don't care too much for first-person shooters. Like, I mean, I, I enjoy them, but see, I like playing multiplayer stuff with other people. And... These kids nowadays that sit around for hours and hours on, you know, like Call of Duty or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I just can't compete with them. I'm, I'm not fast enough. I want to say I would be fast enough, but I've got an additional handicap when it comes to first-person shooters. I get motion sickness. Oh, wait, that would definitely be a problem then. Or yeah. simulation sickness. Simulation sickness. I found sickness. out they, they were calling it sim sickness. Yeah. The term came from the Air Force, ah. where you'd have people who were put into flight simulators to right. learn what they're supposed to be doing in the fighter craft they're flying, and you're seeing all of the motion happening in front of you, and it's convincing to them, but they're not getting any of the haptic feedback or the Gs or anything like that. Right. So their eyes are telling them one thing, their inner ears telling them a different thing. Right. And the way that works is your body goes, okay, something is wrong. Something is extremely wrong. I must be sick. And it starts generating the chemicals that make you feel bad when you've like ingested a toxin okay. or something like that. And that's why you get nauseous. Because your eyes are seeing a barrel roll, but your body's, yeah, your body's like, why, yeah, why are we not in a barrel roll? <laughs> that essential disconnect happens in my head all the time when I try to play first-person shooters. Interesting. And I really wish I didn't have that because I know CD Projekt Red is going to come out with 
Cyberpunk 2077 yep. sometime yeah. in the next year and a half. Yeah, I saw about that. And until they announced it, I was like going, all right, CD Projekt Red, they did The Witcher. It's going to be a third-person RPG like they did with the other games. Until they, you know, we're going to do Cyberpunk as a first-person shooter. That's going to be really conducive to you're playing it in a VR helmet as well. So look forward to that. And I'm like, I've waited for this game for 20 years and you're now you... Ugh. Oh, man. But yeah, first-person shooters make me sick even though I like them. Real-time strategy games stress me out. Platformers are just frustrating. Yeah. Especially the jump that is almost impossible to make or a level full of jumps that are supposed to be impossible to make. Yeah. Uh, stuff with time limits. I will play the hell out of a Metroidvania platformer. Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yep. Stuff with RPG elements in it. Don't plonk me down in front of a game that tells me I have to construct additional pylons. I'll, I'll just watch YouTube videos of that. Thank you very freaking much. You said earlier you painted your orc boys. What kind of history have you got painting minis? Not really much at all other than, you know, being the typical little boy growing up, you know, putting together some little cars and airplane models, you know, little snap-tight stuff, and um, then you know, actually using glue later, but um, I don't have much experience as far as painting because of just trying to slap a little bit of paint on, you know, so mm -hmm. it looks good. And, you know, you're seven years old, you don't really know what detail is supposed to look like and everything. So, so other than that, I don't really have that. That was kind of my first time with a brush in my hand when I was, you know, a teenager. And of course, this was back before a lot of the internet. And so it was, I had a copy of White Dwarf that I had also bought. And, you know, there was, they were showing some little painting techniques in there. And so I just, I just sat there trying one night. Uh, I think I got my start with model kits like you did, the old Ertel or monogram yep, kits. Yep, yep. I was watching my dad putting together Enterprise models after that first movie in 1980 and thinking, okay, this is absolutely cool. Yeah. I want a big spaceship like that for my own. Yep. So I started doing those about the mid-90s. A friend of mine who had a whole bunch of old armory paints and a bunch of old tin miniatures he no longer wanted, he bequeathed me all of his old paints. Cool. And I've still got those. They are little rocks of dried up paint in little <laughs> bottles now. Yeah. The bottles themselves might be collector's items <laughs> as far as I know. But as far as painting them, they were still good when he gave them to me in the 90s. And I started learning. Essentially, the first thing I did, I sprayed them with gray primer. Right. And then I just started layering paint on in glazes. And I've still got one of those in the other room. It's going to be in an article I do later on. The noob starts to learn to repaint again. <laughs> My very first one, I'm still satisfied with. The <laughs> other ones, not so much. I want to strip them and redo them. That first one is still there. And apparently, I, I took to it really naturally. I was always an artistic person anyway. Went to art school later on. Yeah. I'd been drawing since the age of four. Yep. Yep. But painting was always something that intimidated me because you had so much less control with a brush than a pencil tip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, in high school I took art class one year. Yeah, the, the painting was, was a little harder for me um, than, like you said, the drawing because, yeah, I grew up drawing all, all kinds of stuff. I do remember that I did, was doing a little painting also at one time. Tried to stay home, have a family, you know, and everything. Got the kids. And so I'd hang out. I had a little workspace area. And I was in a Star Wars hole. I still am. But I was actually building a diorama that had the speeder bikes. But it was, like, after the war and everything. And so it was a diorama of, like, a little hot rod shop, but for the speeder bikes. So nice. I do remember I, I painted it up some speeder bikes like that. Put some flames on them and stuff like, you know, checkers, patterns and stuff. 
um, that that was fun. It was something to do, hang out around the house, you know, while the kids are running around. We get from that in my pre-written questions down to any kind of history with Games Workshop and Warhammer games, and of course you've mentioned that before. Right. I actually don't have any history with them before this job because it was all so... Well, I had the idea in mind that it was extremely expensive. Uh, yeah. And when it came to Warhammer things, I was always someone who went after Reaper miniatures. Okay. And whenever I went looking for Reapers, because I didn't paint up armies, I did individual characters for role-playing games right. like D&D or something else. Whenever I'm trying to find the right Reaper miniature for the thing I'm trying to get to, I have to muscle past several square feet of Games Workshop stuff, and I kind of got a little resentful. Yeah, yeah. And I think this was back in the day where Games Workshop was requiring, if you're going to carry our merchandise, you must dedicate this amount of space in your store to our merchandise. Gotcha. So it was a little bit resentful that I got, and it colored my opinion pretty much beforehand in ways that it probably shouldn't have. Interesting. And let's get into, like, say, podcasting. All right. Because you told me that you do DJ work. Correct. So you've got some audio experience already. So go ahead and tell me about that. Um, so, yeah, I've actually been DJing for... I DJed for a while back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and got out of it for a while, and then have recently got back into it um, probably about two, three years ago. DJing in the club, playing techno music and stuff like that. So, yeah, I do know do know some audio equipment, stuff like that. Um, I did work, actually before this job, I was working at Sam Ash in the pro audio equipment area. So Nice. Yeah. As far as actually podcasting, never done it. I've had some things over the years that I wanted to podcast about, but just never pulled the trigger on it. Okay. I've actually not done a podcast of my own though I have been acting in one for the last 10 years. There is Star Trek Outpost, or in deference to the people at CBS and Paramount, Outpost, a Star Trek fan production. Uh -huh. They have guidelines about that sort of thing now. Right. That happens out on Deep Space 3. It's the station in Star Trek space where you get sent if your career is going nowhere and they want to get you nicely out of the way. Uh-huh. And I'm captain of that station. <laughs> so How's that work out for you? It worked out pretty poorly for the character himself until he kind of pulled himself up. I mean, really, my character was just meant to be this person who is, comes in and is generally unpleasant to people for a little bit and then fades back into the background while the main characters do their thing. Right. And I started getting this fan following. People were talking about, can we have more of Monty? Right about the second or third year, my producer comes to me and says, how would you like to have a backstory and a tragic past and a three-episode arc that really develops you? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that happened, and character took off even more, and it's just been great for the last ten years. We had picked up a Parsec Award down at DragonCon for it one year. For awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. For Thank you. Since then, I've been trying to break hard into voice acting, got myself an agent, got myself a commercial for Lowe's Foods, and really I've just been doing personal projects over and over since then, okay. trying to find my way to chip into the industry. Right. And right now I'm working on a motion comic of Warren Ellis's Transmetropolitan. Okay. Literally adapting the books with a full cast, and I'm voicing Spider Jerusalem. Right. It's 
been an experience trying to get it all together. I'm still auditioning people for some of the stuff right now. Interesting. That's cool. Is there anything you're looking forward to as far as miniatures go? I I really like seeing the the third party companies uh, coming up nowadays, especially with the advent of the three D printers and stuff. And I know that you know Games Workshop they they really locked down their product and everything, and rightly so. But I like seeing the fans add to it. You know, add to the canon, and I, I really enjoy seeing the the new models that people are sculpting. I think it's a really cool time uh, in the hobby right now because of the advent of the three D printer. As far as anything I'm looking at, I went looking for something for a character I'm doing, a kind of benevolent necromancer for okay. either D&D or a Shadowrun game. I've kind of got the same character going for both games, and we'll see which one happens first. But in my looking around, there was an Alfred Pennyworth miniature from Batman yeah. that someone had done, and it's pretty much exactly what I need except for the head, and I can get the head from something else. Right. I also found that a company called Warlord Games was doing a whole range of Doctor Who miniatures. Really? Like, from the old <clears throat> series and the new series. There's, like, a master box set that has all the masters All the doctors? In it. All the masters. Okay, okay. All the doctors, they tend to come like one doctor to a set with their companions in okay. the box with them. And I was thinking, okay, uh, you know, I'm Doctor Who fan extraordinaire. I had a Doctor Who wedding ceremony. Oh, yeah? When I got geekily married down at Dragon Con in 2012. And really, that's all the questions I had, unless you want, had anything else you wanted to add. No. No, Fair enough. not really. Well, we'll get to other stuff other times because, like I said, they're going to be hearing from us in future episodes, of course. Yep. And we'll end this segment here. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, guys, this is Caleb with White Metal Games. And I'm Edward with White Metal Games. And we have on the, the line today a very special guest. Um, we're interviewing Adam Abramowitz from The Army Painter. Um, Adam, how's it going? It's going great, guys. It's uh, it's back. It, great to be back, I should say. I was going to say, we interviewed you uh, a few years ago now. Um, back then, you were working as a commission painter for uh, your own personal studio, Beyond the Brush. And it's now my That's understanding right. that you're the media director for The Army Painter. That is correct. That is uh, 100% correct. So how did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? Was it, uh, I'm sure that, you know, you, you were working actively as a commission painter. I think you were loving your job. Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Or So it's actually, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. I was uh, doing some work for another paint company at the time. And uh, I had met Bo and Mads. Bo is one of the founders and owners of the company. Mads is, uh, has been working for the marketing department for a long time. And I met them, you know, while doing a trade show for this other company. And, you know, I got on really well with Bo and uh, something about the, the Danish vibe I, I really enjoyed. And we kept in contact and maybe about a year and a half, two years later, got in contact again over email. And he said, are you still working for that company? I said, you know what? I, I don't think it's, it's going where I thought it was going to go. And he says, well, why don't, why don't we talk? Let's sit down and talk. So they flew me out to, to Gamma. Um, in Las Vegas back then, it's uh, actually it was in Reno. I'm sorry, they had just moved from Vegas to Reno. Within a couple months' time, we had this this huge plan in place, and 
we started out kind of slow and I, I've been involved and rapidly growing within the company for the past two years. I, I can't speak. I know that they, they pay me. Um, I'm, I'm not under contract to speak well of the company, but uh, I am going to speak well of the company. It's, it's honestly one of the best jobs I've ever had. They're a great company to work for. They really take care of their employees and they are 100% like hobby maniacs. They are gamers at heart and it's a lot of fun to be working with them, especially right now as we're experiencing a lot of growth as a business. I am learning very hard what it's like to finally get employed with members of your tribe when it comes to that sort of thing. But yeah, please. Um, I mean, that's really exciting to hear that you, you ran into them and that essentially it was kind of a headhunting situation where they saw your work, kind of fouled it away in the back of their brain, like this is a guy to, to note for later. And then when an opportunity came available, uh, it just it worked out all the keys fell into place and that's just really great that's very encouraging to hear yeah it really is you know bo jonas and everybody else at the company uh it's uh, i'm their only american employee and they took a huge chance in hiring somebody that was so far away from home um for them you know because they're based in herning denmark um you know so it was a big chance and a big risk that they took but i i hope that it's paying off i mean they've kept me around and they keep giving me more projects and i keep getting involved with new and exciting projects with the company so uh, i can't thank them enough and uh if if you guys are happy with the army painter paints you should go <laughs> here's my plug go buy some <laughs> you know it's actually it's interesting because we interviewed them i think it was before we interviewed you actually it was back around the, the late 20s and at the time, Army Painter was really expanding a lot, even back then. I remember when the product, when their product first came on the market, and um, you know, I, I really liked their paint back then. But now their their product range is just huge. I mean, they've really, like you said, they've really blown up the last couple of years. We started using their paints back when they were doing just quick shades, and then they transitioned into washes. I mean, honestly, we use all of the washes. We're we religiously we use their washes more than anybody else's. Yeah. Like their soft tones, their dark tones. Every all of those washes have really great pigment. They don't. I would say they don't leave watermarks behind. So the way right. that they the Especially way that they apply to the models, the, the yeah. Medium. It's just really incredible. So I was really impressed with that. And then once they started launching into stuff like tufts and basing materials and all that kind of stuff, I was really blown away. Later on, of course, they partnered with, you know, companies like Cool Mini or Not to release boxes of predetermined colors. And so, yeah, I mean, it's very clear that not only are they on the rise, like they're doing great, really well. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I can say for sure and coming from my background, you know, I've always worked um, in, with brick and mortars almost my entire life, either for the brand selling to brick and mortars or for as a brick and mortar myself, um, whether it be a game store or a bicycle store, or a bicycle company or a gaming paint company. And one of the things that I can say about Bo and Jonas, I mean, combined, they have a, a lot of experience, uh, probably five decades worth of, if not more, experience working in the hobby and games industry for some of the largest companies in, in the world and industry before they started their own. And they really understand the importance of, of brick and mortar and retail because they're gamers too. And they know that that's where we play our games. You know, of course, a lot of people play games at our kitchen table or in our office, but majority of gamers, they, they go to their game store and they don't spend a lot of money when they're there. They're just there to play the games. So they really want to support the retailer in a way that it motivates those customers and gamers and painters and hobbyists to buy the product from them as opposed to somewhere else. And of course, we work online and that's the way of the future, but a lot of retailers are catching up as well. 
but it's it's something that I learned very quickly that Bo and Jonas really knew what they were doing when working with the retailers. And when I go to trade shows, uh, you know, it's apparent that the retailers really trust and appreciate everything that the Army Painter has done for them. Yeah, I mean, we've recently transitioned into um, we've been trying to bolster our wholesale or online sales. And now we actually have like a, a, a brick and mortar location, which is a sort of a small extension of our studio. And so I can firsthand attest and appreciate that sort of firsthand knowledge of how retail stores need to be supported. I mean, these days, like there's so many new products coming out all the time. And like you said, online retail is just kind of the way things are going. Yet we we all enjoy the camaraderie of going into a game store. If we don't support those environments, they won't be around. Um, so it's really refreshing to hear about a company that firsthand puts those businesses first and foremost in their view when they're thinking about how to how to sell product. What's well, part and parcel of the community? Well, they enjoy that shared experience, personal experience with the person that they're. Yeah, exactly. With. I mean, you don't you can paint in a closed environment, but we game together. Right. Exactly. It's telling that I came in 10 years after the company started. As you were saying, you know, their first product that they brought to market were quick shades. Right. The quick, and they brought the quick shade dipping method to the mass market. And the whole concept around that was, you know, one of the biggest reasons why customers don't buy more models is because they haven't finished painting the ones that they, they already have. So that that started down this get more time for gaming arena where if you paint your models quicker, you can then buy more models. You know what I mean? But that's led to so many different things. And it, if you look at how we design and bring new products to market, number one, it has to make sense for the consumer, right? And and the customer, the hobbyists, the people that are actually doing it. And I think that we are better equipped than some of the other hobby brands out there because we are such hobby nerds and maniacs. I mean, we, we really are passionate painters and passionate gamers. And it positions us in a way to understand exactly what a painter and a hobbyist wants and needs, but at the same time, it has to make sense for the retailer. And how does it fit into the puzzle pieces of of getting it into their sales floor and selling it to the customer? Does it make sense for them? Because the reality is most game stores aren't 40,000 square foot, you know, <laughs> just giant gaming dungeons that have all of the room in the world to display product. They have to display it very smart and they have to be very careful about the kind of real estate that they're giving up to a vendor or a brand. And that's something that, you know, I know Bo, Jonas and myself, I've, I've, I've learned to always and constantly pay attention to when you're talking to retailers and when you're discussing which new products you are going to bring to market. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, personally, I know that when I'm you know, I'm a hobbyist first, and that was how I got into it. So I can fully appreciate starting with something you need versus something that you're just trying to make a buck on. So like to use the quick shade as the perfect example, that was exactly my problem back in the day is that I, I was spending a lot more time painting than playing, and I wanted to reverse that iteration. Um, and the quick shade product, you know, did that in a lot of ways. Like while there were certainly dissenting opinions about it, um, Army Painter didn't stop there. You know, once they had developed a product that was effective, they just moved on to, okay, what's the next thing that'll be good? What's the next thing that'll be good? And and here they are 10 years later. So 12, we're going on our 12. I mean, next month is yeah, 12 years. That's amazing. Now, you've been with them for the last two, and mm -hmm. you work as the media director for them. So can you give us an idea of maybe what the day, you know, what is the, you said that you're the only American employee. So my guess is that you work 
remotely, probably from your home. Uh, what is the what's a typical day like for you as a media director for Army Painter? Yeah, I mean, as the media director, you know, my my main responsibility is to be the first line in communication to the customer. So if if you are on our YouTube page, on our, our Facebook page, Instagram, not only the content that's being produced there with the help of the marketing department at large, but the actual interaction with the customers, that's my main job there. But I also work in community outreach. I work with uh, all of the influencers, content creators, the media agencies out there like yourselves, like a Bell of Lost Souls, like a Spiky Bits, like table, on tabletop in the UK. So it's my responsibility to cultivate and nurture those relationships, find new and exciting people to work with, develop new collaborations and projects to work on. And also, you know, same goes for events. You know, I'm, I'm an active hobbyist. I would say a semi-hardcore gamer. Um, I play a lot of 40K. Um, I'm on the competitive circuit. I was the team coach of the US ETC team this year. So I get to go to these events and, and engage with these the promoters and the, the tournament organizers. It's all about growing the hobby at the at the biggest level where people are most visible. So I have a lot of cool projects that I'm working on right now for events that are streaming games to help build that platform because that's something that tabletop gaming, especially at the competitive level, is growing into. There are more people watching these games remotely from different places on their computers and tablets and phones than ever before. And we're excited to be involved in that space. So that's part of my day. But I would say that 70% of what I do is the video production that you see for the Army Painter. So yeah. I produce all of our video tutorials, our unboxings. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I mean, one of the things that sh surely must work to your favor is that as a commission artist and a, a hobbyist yourself, as opposed to, let's say, just someone who understands social media nuance, um, you're able to to come in firsthand and say, like, if I'm doing a video, this is the angle I'd want to see it at, or this is the part of the model I want to focus on. And, you know, you can really kind of optimize that. Y like if I was like on a cooking show, I don't know the first thing about how to bake a quiche. So I wouldn't even know where to start. But you you know both sides of the equation. Usually with eggs. Yeah, that's eggs fair. That's fair. I'm better at eating them. To be, to be <laughs> I'm very good. at. I'm a pro when it comes to that. My wife can attest. So, but like you have the advantage of like knowing both sides of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm getting better at it. I mean, I my educational background and in a lot of my professional life, I've worked in some form of video production or another. Um, but, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, you look at I mean, just workshop, for example, they're they're the biggest in the world um, and they're, they're fantastic at everything that they do. And I love playing their games. But, you know, I'm one person in the studio right now. Uh, so I'm doing the lighting, I'm doing all the camera work, I'm doing the actual uh, narration and the painting and the editing. So it's been tricky to, to figure out how to do this because in times past when I've had different roles, I was either the person just doing the lighting and the rigging or I was the person shooting or I was the person editing uh, or I was the person in front of the camera. Now I'm doing a little bit of all of it. So it's been uh, the past two years, it's it's progressively gotten better and it's constantly and always going to improve but it's been uh it's been a fun experience so many video podcasters are just sort of kind of feeling their way along but in these last couple of years there's been such an explosion of people creating their own content there's a whole bunch more guides and educational material coming out for people who are doing that themselves 
have you actually availed yourself of any of that or are you kind of just sort of doing this intuitively um i mean i'm a consumer too i consume content just like you and and everybody else does i have my favorites out there and the people that i i hold a lot of respect for Mm -hmm. uh, and i try to work with them you know through the army painter and learn from them every now and then i i'm struggling with something you know just recently scott walter at miniac who is fantastic he's really innovative in the tutorials that he produces really really high quality and a lot of production value mm. you know i just reached out to him i say look I'm, I'm really struggling with the lens that i'm using and you know i i'm not sure that this is what i need what do you think you know being able to bounce those ideas off of fellow you know, at the end of the day i'm a content creator just like everybody else's i just happen to be a content creator for a fantastic hobby you know accessory company yeah so i was actually looking over some of the videos earlier today that you've been creating and that's definitely kind of the impression I get is that this is these videos are produced by someone that not only knows the, the range of products they're working with, but also likes the range of products they're working with. But I'm, I'm surprised by how many hats you have to wear in this capacity. Like you're a product creator, you're an event organizer, you're a social media person, you're also your one man camera crew, one man editing crew. It's a lot. That's a that's a lot to balance. Do you ever find that to be overwhelming, or do you just is it more like the days pass so fast and you just love your job? I I love to work. Yeah, um, I mean you I have really to do. with that I, many responsibilities. That, I would I would guess. I do. I I don't find myself lacking for that. You know, and I I enjoy working, and it does become a bit much at times. But sure. I love having the goals, and I love having to. It's it's. It's a constant race. You know, I, I used to race bikes and I, I'm a co-owner of a bike company. For me, it's just, it's it's personal records. You're consistently setting personal records. If I was able to do three videos this week, that's a new personal record for me. Am I going to be able to sustain that every every week? No, that's just not the reality. But it's, it's about managing everything. And that's something, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys have kids. <laughs> I, I have a four-year-old daughter. But it's it's I feel like life as you get older is especially when you start having children and working and furthering your career. It's just you're consistently and constantly learning how much more you can take. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I don't have kids personally, so I can't attest to that. But many of the people that work here do have kids and just watching them try to balance that schedule is not unlike you know, watching someone balance a stack of plates, it's its delicate, it's fragile, it can topple easily. Oh, yes. And these days when the world is just going, in my opinion, too fast, it's hard to find time to squeeze in for hobbying some, some weeks. So, I mean, I think that it's great that you're producing those kind of videos that people can use to sort of maximize their time, maximize their workflow, not struggle with like learning new techniques so much as being tutored on those techniques and sort of getting a preview for not only unboxing of things but like how does this product work and what does that look like like a lot of times when we buy a new paint for example the picture of the bottle on a website is not always indicative of the the color itself or even other things like how does the paint feel how does it flow how thick is it how thin is it and so like watching a tutorial is useful because you can see the paint flowing on the palette. You can see how it moves over the surface of the model. You can see when combined with other mediums, what it, what properties it exudes. And so that's almost like, in my opinion, you're doing all the research for us, showing us that so that we make educated decisions about 
what product is right for us or what product is right for us on this project. Like what product is right right now? You know, what's going to be a short-term addition to our painter arsenal versus a long-term addition? There's a clear difference between, you know, when you had me on the show the last time we talked a bit about color theory and we talked yeah. a bit about pre-shading and counter-shading, right? And that's stuff that people that are artists and, and have been artists their entire life, that they just do that on their own, you know? And they, you know, for example, I'm just going to throw this out there. My daughter, you know, she's four and she's learning, she's coloring and she's actually very talented, you know, at coloring in between the lines and sketching herself. But she brought home a picture of a, uh, a pony that she had colored. And of course it was pink because she's, you know, a four-year-old little girl. <laughs> sure, sure. And the hair that was... It's like lime green that transitioned to dark green at the bottom. And the back leg was a darker shade of pink. And then the front leg where <laughs> so she... the, 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 the back, like she took some blue and shaded in and blended that. Like you don't, some people just know that, you know, and I think that yeah. maybe she does, or maybe she, it's just dumb luck. And she just happened to color these pieces in the line. Right. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like she's some savant, but there are other people that don't spend that time learning uh, about color theory and how to do X, Y, and Z. So sometimes people just want to know that if you want a red cape, that you should paint it with dragon red, wash it with red tone, reestablish a highlight, and maybe add an edge highlight with Mars red. They just want that easy recipe. I mean, why do you think Food Network it makes as much money as they do? It's You get to watch people make the quiche, and then you can go on the website and learn exactly how much flour, butter, cheese, and eggs you need to make that quiche and what temperature to cook it at. And if you're able to deliver that and uh, to your customer, what you're doing is you're not only telling them how to do it, you're empowering them with how to use your product and instilling confidence in themselves with your product to go and replicate exactly what you just did. And it's like I say at the end of every one of my tutorials, you know, the magic in miniature painting is that it can be as simple or as challenging as you want it to be. But with the right techniques, you can achieve some great results. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. It's, it's, it's not getting too into the weeds about, well, if you are trying to paint red and you want to counter shade it to give a realistic tone, you should base it with green and blah, blah, blah. You know, don't get into that with most painters because 90% of painters, they just want a, a good, quick result that looks good on the tabletop for their next dungeon adventure or game of Warhammer 40K or, or what have you, you know? Absolutely. I mean, the reality is, if I'm being quite honest, is that most folks don't get into the game for the hobby. There are certainly hobbyists, and I, I meet those people all the time, that they'll say, like, I don't even play the game. And that's when I know that their their primary interest is in the, 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 artistic, the expression. artistic expression of it, basically using the mini as a medium for their to convey their emotion or whatever. Um, but one of the problems we run into here, because we're a commission studio and our at the the issue is, is that creativity is largely very a right-brained activity and logistics right. being a left-brained activity, not all people, not all creators can switch gears easily. And so when you develop a, a tutorial or a recipe, as we like to phrase them online, you're really appealing to people that, that don't necessarily want to be creative. Like you said, they just want a good looking product so that they can play and enjoy the thing that they really want to do. And for the rest of us, like, you know, your, your daughter, it, maybe it's a little bit more instinctive where she doesn't even necessarily know 
what she's doing, but it's innate. She knows that like right. there's there's a shadow here or this would be a highlight, this would be brighter. And she may not even be able to put that into words because her left brain hasn't caught up to what her right brain already knows. And right. that's where tutorials are really great is that they, uh, they're a good baseline for folks that are not necessarily interested in color theory. And for those of us that are, um, it's totally fine, and we're going to use that for what we're going to use it for, but we're going to push beyond that. Because a lot of times we we stumble into the same techniques without exactly knowing how we got there. Yeah, and what I, I think what I love about the Army Painter to begin with is that there's no, like, they're not an elitist paint company. You know, like, it, it's it's not just for the elite master painters in the world. Their paints and products are perfectly capable you guys are fantastic painters and and you use a lot of our products and a lot of the, the you know the content creators and influencers that we work with are award-winning painters um, and they use our products but the products the way that they're designed and marketed and sold and and just packaged together are for the every painter and every hobbyist you know so when you want to paint red there's going to be a, a good solid base color, a good solid mid-tone, and a good yeah. highlight color for you right there. And you can expand and, and detract from that however you want, but you, you don't necessarily have to mix paints if you don't want to. Um, that's, that's why we have that very finite number of paints. That's why there's 96 paints in our, in our war paints range. There's, you don't really need 36 shades of green to paint a model right you just need exactly. the right shades and exactly. the right shades to highlight and otherwise you're just overwhelming your your potential customers and for and some the, for I mean, some products that's the worst thing <laughs> for some projects specifically you may decide to like grab an extra color here or there um but i think one of the things that army painter has really done well is they've done a, a really great foundation range um like we use their metal paints almost exclusively we just we're in love um, with all the metallic colors we use, especially the the dark metals, like the cold metals, um, like the gun metals and the silvers, those are just for us. They're really great, um, and so we use they're, that like I mean, on, every, on everything the we best on the market. Yeah, they're they're really good. <laughs> they're so smooth. And when we first discovered them, we couldn't believe how good they were because we had struggled with metallic for years because of the flake issues. And when we first found gunmetal, I, I, I couldn't believe it was a metal because of the fact that it, it went on so smoothly. It was like silk. It was just really beautiful. Um, and the coverage was nice and even. But, you know, for us, we're always looking to the future, what new products are going to be coming out there. So can you give us any previews about what products we might look for in late 2019? Maybe something uh, that we could sure. save up for for a Christmas gift. Maybe some bundling. What do you guys got coming down the pike? Well, I mean, I have the perfect Christmas present for you. I'll get I'll get to that in a All second. Right. Sounds, and sounds good. Uh, you know, one of the things that yeah, one of the things that's really cool is because we are a paint and hobby company. We aren't we aren't a games manufacturer, right? So right, we models and games aren't first for us and paint isn't you know it's not a tertiary product line paint and and hobby accessories are everything that we do and it's all that we do right so that frees us up to work with a lot of great you know games manufacturers and miniature manufacturers so sure like you mentioned earlier in the show simon games um you know zombicide has been a huge one for us and right when i started with the company we had launched our 
the, the official Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments D&D range, which we knew was going to be big because Dungeons & Dragons is the biggest that it's ever been right now. Yeah. Uh, interesting note, the largest growing uh, section of uh, demographic of D&D players right now are girls 15 to 35 years old. That's great. I think that That's really great. It's amazing. I think that is amazing. It's bringing new people, new customers, new gamers to to our hobby and our industry. And I think that's great. And being able to, a lot of people that get into D&D, they're, not necess- they're usually not hobbyists, they're not painters. And being able to teach them has been really inspiring and motivating for me and for us as a company. So we had, we launched the Adventurer's Paint set, which was, you know, a great starter set for D&D and had an exclusive Minsk and Boo miniature and the Monster Paint set, which was a huge expansion to that. It had a, a couple unique colors in there that were unique to the Army Painter range completely. All the colors hand-picked to match the Monster Manual and it had an, probably my favorite miniature of all time, the exclusive Owlbear miniature that Gale Force 9 made for us. And right now, uh, the D&D Underdark expansion paint set should be, be hitting stores real soon. The Drist tutorials, because Drist Orden, who's a fan favorite, uh, we have uh-huh. an exclusive Drist Orden miniature in that um, in that box set. It's fantastic to paint. I painted, I did a tabletop and a masterclass tutorial for it that you guys can go see on our Facebook and YouTube page. That actually features eight unique paints to the War Paints range uh, that you'll only find in that box set for now. Uh, really, really cool stuff. So if you're a D&D player or you just want some new War Paints, go check them out. All of the D&D paints that we produce come in 12 milliliter bottles. And they look, it's funny because they look super tiny compared to our War Paints bottles, which are 18 mil. But if you think about it, 12 mil is what the other guys sell their paints for already. Um, it just, it's the way that it's packaged. It, 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 <laughs> it looks smaller. Um, yeah. But it's the reason that we did the 12 mil paints is that, you know, RPG players are typically, and D&D players are typically painting a model or two at a time, not entire armies, which the rest of the army painter range is is intended to do, to get your models built, painted, uh, and to the tabletop as fast as possible. So that's an exciting new product. All of 2019, you know, at the beginning of 2019, we launched, uh, going back to our retailer conversation, our new tool rack. Anybody that's been to a, a reputable you know, hobby and game store has seen our army, army painter paint rack. It's fantastic. Um, it's a, it's a great way to visualize the paints and the color matching between our two and one color primers and the war paints. Now we have a rack, the same size that has everything that you need to, uh, essentially assemble, build and finish your models, do all of the basing and terrain work on your models. So between those, when you put those together, you have just over a meters wide space, um, where you have everything you need but the models to build, uh, paint, and base your models, which is pretty incredible. And there's some really cool tools on that uh, set. Of course, there's the, the Battlefields Basing set, which is new for this year. It has everything you need to base your models. I highly urge anybody that's new to gaming to pick that up when they buy their first box of models. And there's uh, our empty mixing bottles, which are fantastic for saving your paints. And then for like $4.99, I believe it is US, you can get 100 of our mixing balls. Uh, one of the thing about the Army Painter War Paints is that we use very, very heavy pigmentation. 
Um, and that's why yeah, I've noticed when they're that. appropriately mixed, the coverage is so good with that. Right, it's very, exactly. very heavy pigmentation. They gives you the control and freedom to thin it down with water, and you know, you can do a lot with it. You you can never put more pigment into a paint. You can always take it away by thinning it down or diluting it with medium or water. And that's kind of the thought process there. But the paints, because they're so heavy, gravity does take place. They do begin to settle a little bit. Uh, so we highly urge everybody, if you're going to buy some paints, spend an extra five bucks. I mean, that's the cost of the other one bottle of the other guy's paints. You're going to get 100 mixing balls. They're tested. They're rust proof. Um, stainless steel, high quality stainless steel bearings that you can throw into your pot and agitate your paint perfectly. I, I highly recommend it to any any painter and hobbyist out there. Aside from nice. that, you asked about Christmas gifts, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds so like someone I, could have a good Christmas just right there, but... Oh, yeah, I mean, mixing balls are great, but they weigh down that stocking a whole lot. Sure, sure, bad. that's true, that's true. <laughs> but so, you don't want that 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 thumbtack coming out of the wall and tearing <laughs> off the wallpaper. But so what So what else we, is coming down the we, pipe? This one is I'm very excited about because it's the first product that I got my hand in developing along with Juan and the rest of our product team, um, and it's the wet palette. Um, we, nice are all very, very excited about this product because we think we really nailed it. Um, there's other high-end wet palettes on the market that retail for like 45 or $50. And then there's the lower end ones that are about nine or 10 bucks. Um, this one will retail for $24.99 US, so 25 bucks, 19 euro. Uh, and it's, we thought about everything. Um, it, this is a wet palette for a war gamer. So, with the wet palette, you're going to get two hydrofoam sheets. Um, the foam obviously is by by nature, it's it's antimicrobial, um, but that doesn't stop mold from getting to it. So that, that along with the plastic designed in this wet palette is um, treated with an antifungal treatment, anti-mold. So it's, it's mold resistant. Um, you're going to get 50 pieces of uh, parchment paper, which we're calling hydro sheets. Um, and then it, you get a three piece design technically a four-piece design. You've got a bottom tray. You've got a middle red piece that is a acts as a brush holder. It could be a secondary palette if you want to, but it holds up to 10 Wargamer brushes and six of our Wargames brushes. You have your lid and then your red strap. I love this product for 25 bucks. I think that this is a product that everybody that paints models should ask for. If you have any painter friends, I think it's uh, perfectly affordable. Uh, you know, it's, it's not super expensive. It's a great gift, and it's a gift that every hobbyist i don't care what your skill level is should have it preserves your paints it keeps them creamy for longer so you're not only saving paint but you're saving time because you're not having to go back to the bottle all of the time and you know it helps you to learn new techniques i didn't learn how to paint until i learned how to thin down my paints properly and a wet palette really helps you to do that perfectly and if you're already a quote-unquote elite or master painter, you, you've probably used a wet palette before, but not one quite as nice as this, in my opinion, uh, especially, you know, for the, the, the price tag that we've put on it at $24.99. I think to go back to something you were saying earlier about the high pigmentation of some of the paints, and we've, and we've noticed that with some of the Army Painter product, but I think that your point about paint can uh, always be thin, but never be thickened, or you can never add more pigment, so to speak, uh, is a good one. And I think a, a wet palette is definitely the perfect bridge to that product. Um, I'm always surprised when I see painters directly painting out of their bottle. Um, not only is the paint literally drying as you paint and you work for hours at a time, um, 
but you're building up, you know, sediment on the sides of the bottle. And it's just, it's not really meant to do that. Your ferrule is going to get clogged as you dip. I mean, there's so many problems there. And so a wet palette is absolutely, in my opinion, one of like your must haves for your collection. And at $25, that's a no brainer. I mean, you know, um, we have used the cheaper ones. We've also used the more expensive wet palettes. I think you found a price point there right in the middle that's going to be good for stuff. And adding a brush holder to a wet palette is, is really a good idea, in my humble opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's the logical next step. I don't know why people haven't done that before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the wet palette is, uh, like you said, a must-have for for anybody that's painting models, no matter if you're you're painting... 300 orcs for your next Warhammer 40k tournament or if you're doing a one-off piece for your next painting competition there's nothing bad about having a wet palette and uh, you said at $24.99 it's simple to pick one up it should be available early December but we are taking pre-orders now so you can go on over to www.thearmypainter.com and if you go into hobby tools it will be right at the top just look for that wet palette that's fantastic I know I want to look at it. I know I'm one of those D&D painters you were talking about earlier. I never did armies. I just sort of felt my way into it because I was doing individual characters every now and again, picking up Reaper miniatures and working on those uh, on the metal kind. But a friend of mine bequeathed me a bunch of his old paints that he didn't use anymore and taught me how to use water with them to thin them out on a wet palette. Because I was coming out of art school, I happened to have one when I that I used to use with gouache painting when I was in classes. So I just sort of naturally fell into using masters. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if people aren't using the wet palette to mix paint, just for storing paint, it's a great option. Yeah. I mean, even if you're very happy with the thinness of your paint, if you're painting, let's say, over a weekend and you want to paint, like, let's say, 40, 50 minutes at a time, you throw some paint on there, you paint until you're satisfied, close it up and come back. And it will definitely save you time and keep the paint fresh as it should. Um, so there's really no reason not to have one, um, even if you're not, you know, a super creative type. It's just it's just good sense for saving time in the hobby. Mm-hmm. So are there any other products coming up that you could uh, preview for us? Anything uh, maybe that Santa could bring us if we're not expecting something? Maybe maybe next year, um, uh, maybe for Christmas in July. Um, okay, nice. We, we're always working on new products and, sure. and new projects, new products. Um, but there's one that I'm directly involved doing with at the moment. I like to use the airbrush. I think it's a great tool. It's not the only tool that I use, but a lot of times I'll even use the airbrush just to lay down some pre-shades before I do my brush work. Sure. Um, but something that a lot of people ask us is, can can your Army Painter War Paints be used through an airbrush? Of course they can. Um, but one of the problems is that we we don't have a specific airbrush thinner or medium for flow improvement. And uh, I've spent a great deal of time with Juan in our product department and a former Golden Demon winner from uh, Denmark. And we've been developing and testing and prototyping what I'm calling the airbrush medium. It's, uh, you know, like everything that the Army Painter does, we try and make it smart and simple. You know, our color primers are two-in-one base coat and, and primer using actual priming agents. Well, we're trying to work on something that is not only a thinner for our war paints, but a flow improver as well. Um, so make it very simple for people to jump into using, if they, they, they're new to it, using an airbrush with our war paints. So I don't have a release date for that. 
Um, I know that it's something that we're actively working on. If you're an airbrush user out there, this is something to be excited about because instead of buying two bottles to you know, manipulate and get those paints working for you the way that you want them to, you just have one bottle. And uh, the tests that I've seen and what I'm using, um, you know, I really love this stuff. I like it better than anything else I've ever used in the past. That's fantastic. I mean, y yes, you're right. We've we when we do airbrush army painter paints through an airbrush, we have had to thin them in the past. As you said, they're pretty high pigment. Um, so to hear that there's a product that will work ex with those directly, you know, using all of the tried and true techniques that army painter has brought to the table in their paints, now applying that to a thinner that works in conjunction with that product. That's a really great idea. And I'm really glad to hear that they've developed something like that. That's actually really exciting because, you know, for the most part, the only, there's only a few companies that really have thinner on the market that is really usable in my humble opinion um, for, for purposes of pricing and that sort of thing. Um, so to hear that there's a third contender entering the ring, that's really great. So Adam, you said you earlier, you're an event manager, you do some events for it. What's your next event coming up in the near future you can tell us about? Well, I'm going to be going to personally to Warzone Atlanta, um, and it's an event that's run by some of my best friends. I've been uh, very happy to see it grow from the very first event. It's uh, I, I was the very first winner of the Best Painting Award at that event uh, in 2015 or 2016, I guess it was now, and it's grown. It's grown into a new space, and uh, obviously me working at the Army Painter now, we've gotten to do some great things with the event on Friday nights. We do a speed painting competition where I showcase our color primers and uh, the dipping technique to painters, and it's a lot of fun. We get messy, and it's it's a good time, so I believe that we're going to be doing that again this year. And, you know, it's the one tournament that I, I've set a goal for myself to try and win one day. Nice. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I'm going to put my hat in the ring again this year. So I, I get to go as not only a sponsor, but a, a competitor and participant. And it's it's really is a great event. You know, one of the, the areas that I've always struggled with is, is building a display board. And I saw the stuff that you guys are doing. And I, I loved it. And I, originally, I reached out to you guys and I said, do you use any of our products? What would you think about, uh, you know, if I sent you some more of the Army Painter products to design a display board using them and showcasing that to the world? Because while I can paint minis, I don't do display boards like you do. And I think you guys are the right guy, the, the right people for the job. And, and and we were really flattered when Army Painter approached us about this project. We certainly appreciate that vote of confidence. We do really like display boards. Um, it's one of those things that if you're a tournament player, it's kind of like if you're a painter, you should have a wet palette. If you're a tournament player, you should probably have a display board. Even if you're not using it, let's say the tournament doesn't necessarily grant bonus points for it, just carrying your models around and just simply bragging rights, displaying them the way they're meant to be displayed, not just shoving them back in your case when you're done, but actually you've spent you know a good portion of your, your year working on these models. They should be seen the way they're meant to be seen. Um, and so when you guys approached us, the nice thing is we're already using the Army Painter products in our workflow. And by sending us more products, it just encouraged us more to really kind of stretch our creative muscles. Um, so we were really pleased by, by this request and this opportunity to work with you on it. We'll be working on that in October, and that product, that display board will be unveiled at the Army Painter booth at Warzone Atlanta in early November. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it because, like I was saying, you guys with display boards is far beyond my own reach. I, I, I 
I can't wait to see how this turns out. I, I'm sending you a bunch of our Battlefields range, so Battlefields Rocks and Brown Battleground. Uh, sending you a bunch of basing glue because I know that you're going to need that and a <laughs> wide range of tufts. In, included is one of our newest tufts because we do have two new tufts this year, um, Scorched Tuft and uh, the Deadlands Tuft. And I'm going to send you guys the Deadlands Tuft because I think it's a nice bluish green um, and it's going to look really good because you guys are basing this off of the Imperial Ruins, but we're going to muddy it up a bit and make it a little bit different. Is that correct? Yeah, we had developed several display boards as sample models, and we were calling one an Imperial City. You took to that and sort of liked the general design, but mo like most clients, you had specifics to tailor to your army. In your specific case, uh, you have a lot of flyers in your army, at least at this time you do. And so as a result of which, the challenge with this project was finding a way to take the aesthetic you liked and shape it to the army that you have while blending it into the basing scheme that you've chosen. And these are all things that we honestly love to do. I mean, these are the kind of challenges that we really rise to. Display boards are such a niche part of our industry, uh, and yet we, we really embraced it a few years ago. We've been working with a new designer named Brian Reese. And so we're really excited about the opportunity to kind of do like a sort of a bombed over factory where the, the, the flyers are kind of passing by and unleashing payload or just unleashing hell on whoever's there. Um, and we're really excited to kind of see what we can do with all the different mediums you're sending us. We already use a lot of the tufts that you guys are sending, finding ways to work in some of the new products, unreleased products, or just brand new on the market products is even more exciting. Um, because what we find is that this is kind of a more is more thing. The more organicness you can bring to a board, uh, the more realistic it can look. And the plan, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are actually going to make a tutorial to show people at home how to make their own display board. Is that correct? Yeah, we've been launching into more content over the last couple months. Um, we're a little late to the party, but we're certainly eager uh, at this point. So as we've been developing content, not only painting tutorials, but assembly tutorials, um, we're using this as an opportunity to showcase not only the Army Painter product in use, but also our general techniques and how we apply it. Um, so while some of the parts of this project will be using more generic building materials, DIY materials, you know, MDF foam, that kind of thing, once we get into the layering and the texturing and all that sort of stuff, it'll be Army Painter all the way across. And so we're looking forward to this as kind of a collaboration using techniques that we've developed over the years, sharing those in video format on channels like YouTube, sharing those with Army Painter so that you guys can make those available to your subscribers as well. And that way people can see these products in action. Uh, you, know, you know what? I can't wait for that. I mean, that's, like I said earlier, that's the stuff that's really inspiring for me in this role in this position that I have with the Army Painter is being able to, uh, you know, teach and educate people and trying to dispel some of the mystery as to how we make things look the way that we do so yeah. that other people can go home and replicate it themselves. And that's what I'm most excited about is watching the journey from you know where we had this conversation just a couple days ago to the video that or videos that you guys put out I, i'm excited to share them with the army painter fans on youtube and facebook and then you know for anybody that's going to make their way to atlanta and potentially las vegas open because um, i'm going to be going to that event as well which is one of if not the largest and uh, you know gaming events in the world uh, i'm really excited to showcase what we produce together, but you guys do all the heavy lifting and hard work at those events. Well, what's nice about the board is it'll be modular enough that you can transport it around as you travel. 
And, uh, you know, it should be a good representation of not only the products that Army Painter provides, but also the work that we do. For people that are not able to attend that event, where can they find out more about what Army Painter is doing online? What kind of social media can they tune into to find you guys? Of course. Uh, just you know, a quick at the Army Painter on Instagram and Facebook. And also just do a quick search for the Army Painter on YouTube. We're also on Twitter at the Army Painter. Uh, basically anywhere you, you you go to find your hobby tutorials and information we're going to be there we uh, do showcase all of our videos on facebook and youtube so we have a backlog of the tutorials and the product release videos that we put together so if you ever want to learn more about the wet palette for example or um, those videos are coming in a couple more weeks so you just have to hold on for that but you know like the dnd paint sets that we were talking about and yeah. our mixing balls or the hobby tool set you could find all that information uh, on video and you'll get to hear my uh, horrible voice again and <laughs> see my ugly mug when I'm doing the actual narration for those videos. Very exciting. Well, good luck at Warzone Atlanta. We hope this is the year that you win. And um, even if you don't, we know you're going to look good uh, with your new display board as you fight across the table. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, with my painting skills and your terrain building skills, it's a match made in heaven. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Adam, I, thank for your you guys time so today. much. I'm really excited about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And thank you so much for this opportunity. It's I think it's going to be a really fun collaboration. Absolutely. And Thanks for uh, talking with us. Yeah. And we will uh, be excited to hear from you again uh, down the road to see what else is coming up with Army Painter. Absolutely. I, I say maybe after Warzone, we check back in and talk about uh, how, how everything went with the display board. Let's awesome. call it an open invitation. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going right. to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. All right, folks, so that's going to do it for this episode of the War Council. Exactly right. And we're still putting this one together, so the format is not nailed down yet. But do come and see us over at whitemetalgames.com where you can find all of our episodes and all of our previous episodes as well. You can also find us on all the social media platforms at whitemetalgames.com and on Twitch at whitemetalgamestv. Right, where you can come see all of our people painting, some of our tutorial things that have been pre-recorded so that you can see what their techniques involve. You can also find us on iTunes and I believe on Spotify as well. So from myself, my name's Edward Winter-Rose. And I'm Shane, Mr. Meticulous Jenkins. And thank you for joining us. And be safe, be careful, and roll crits. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs>